The Collaborating Conversation podcast is for avid book readers, book lovers, and authors. Listen to this podcast as we talk more about the art of writing, stories behind books, and the hands that created them. So stay tuned and enjoy our show. Welcome to the Collaborating Conversations podcast. Today's episode is AI and Science Fiction and the Singularity. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Excellent. Thanks doing for having well. me. Thank you for asking. It's not often that I get asked. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I think if we want to start with AI, right? Uh, what is what is AI? I guess what's the definition of AI? How at least intelligence in the context of computing versus intelligence in the context of a human being because while there are some oh, a lot of overlap they're still distinct right at least today they still are so how would you guys sort of well i'm gonna start with the simplest solution of looking up wikipedia because yes it's not the source of all true and brilliant knowledge but it's a great place to start so artificial intelligence ai is intelligence demonstrated by machines as opposed to uh, natural intelligence displayed by animals, including humans. AI research has been defined as the field of study of intelligent agents, which refers to the systems that perceive its environments, takes actions that maximize its chance of achieving its goals. So that's actually one of the interesting things that Life 3.0 by, give me a moment to bring up the author, Max uh, Tegmark. So that's Life 3.0, begin, being, um, being human in the age of artificial intelligence actually denotes that can uh, can uh, programs and software have goals. So that's one of the things, right? So if we look at um, artificial intelligence as maximizing its chance to achieving its goal, but we have to be careful with that particular definition because does a missile have a goal, but is it a missile intelligence? It's interesting. Uh, Ian Banks talked about this um in the culture series um specifically the missile part like they had smart missiles um you know in that the missiles themselves were almost like uh weapons platforms that were sentient um and that you know could go, go floor by floor and decimate you know whatever their target was on that floor um you know so it wasn't the traditional concept of a missile where you know it, it launches and then it explodes and it, you know, it's done. It was more like a floating weapons platform, but uh, it, it, it was, um, you know, it was essentially, uh, you know, a, a mobile weapons platform that that was sentient and alive and can make decisions. Um, so he played around with the concept, you know, with with AI, just down to the the most basic levels. <laughs> but you know, you had different levels of AI in his world too, right? Because so you had the ship mines, which were these super advanced. Um, intelligences that, you know, were supposed to have surpassed humanity. And then you had, you know, uh, smaller minds that live, you know, that were in robots and, you know, machines, um, you know, all the way down to, you know, in a missile, <laughs> you know, so he kind of play, explored that concept of, you know, you have different levels of, of sentient technologies and, you know, they, depending on you know what the what resources were available to them they operated at different levels but they were all considered sentient 
I don't remember if it was the Expeditionary Force or one of them where they had they also had a level of smart missiles. And I've been watching too many memes and stuff. And every time I hear someone talk about a missile going in for like its target, all I'm hearing is wee. <laughs> I've, been, I've been hearing too many, too many memes. But I think it's super fascinating because in this context, right? Um, a heat seeking missile has a goal of finding its target of heat. But does does that indicate intelligence? And I think right now we're in that pre true like human level of intelligence. But at the same time, there is some level of decision making, right? Uh, same in the Babaverse where they have the Amy's or for the AMI's where they're basically pre-programmed decision trees. And so I think we, to some extent, have that today, but not necessarily on par with a human. However, when do we get there and when do, you know, what actually happens and changes? I think it's a fantastic discussion on finding what sent, what separates humans and like what is consciousness, but also what is intelligence. I know like some of the, I have an overactive imagination, so I can't wait for the day to, you know, either be hey alexa hey google or hey whatever ai um i forget which book i was reading i think it was some oh uh minimum wage magic where every person had their own um ai assistant and i that we we're already starting to see that and i think it'd be fascinating to see like an assistant like hey uh cortana or whoever make me this says you know uh design me this for you know xyz or whatever dimensions you want like hey i need this widget or something and then it then it designs it and then sends it to your 3d printer either resin fdm whatever and you know you didn't even do anything you're just like okay cool yeah i approve of this design ship it yeah go ahead no go ahead no i was just gonna say i think we'll see that in our lifetime but other than that what were you gonna add no i just i play around with this concept in my in my book uh with the um with they're called system intelligences and the concept is based loosely off of the mass effect artificial intelligence that were limited right because you know if you like if you look at the mass effect series right like they have this whole universe where they've created true artificial intelligence in the form of the geth but it went horribly wrong right and so then the galactic empires together make this treaty where just like hey no one's allowed to make true artificial intelligence we have the capabilities we have the systems we have the technology but you can't do it right uh and so it becomes this this almost like armistice you know in mass effect where they're just like you know you 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 know all all artificial intelligences are are limited you know you can't they can't have true sentience they have to be hard hard limited to prevent them from you know from being true ai because ai is dangerous and we can't allow it and that you know that ends up becoming like the whole premise of the series you know all the way up to the end where it's focused on like you know ai is bad uh and it's a threat to human existence um you know and i'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later but you know when when i created systems intelligence it's kind of from the same thinking you know where artificial intelligence did exist in the founder universe but it was dangerous you know or perceived as dangerous uh and so you know but machine intelligence is very beneficial right like you were just saying like there's a lot of benefit that we get from it as a society so how far can we take this before it becomes dangerous or you know poses a potential risk whether that's perceived or actual right and so you know uh in the second novel i introduce you know this 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 is intelligence where someone's kind of pushing the boundaries of you know the character's name is um ellipse uh you know and, and and you know they tried to limit 
uh, I tried to limit the technology to say like, oh, well, the, the thing that's unique about Ellipse that's hardwired is, you know, she can she can develop full AI tech, you know, intelligence, but she's tied to a human, you know, via use of their cognitive pathways to power her, right? And so therefore, it's impossible for her to, you know, quote unquote, be dangerous because her existence is tied to a human heart, you know, hardwired, you know, and I play around with that concept and, you know, uh, you know, you can kind of see how that goes, you know, cause it's just like, well, what happens when you create a sentient intelligence that's limited, right. You know, you can kind of play out that story. Cause I think it's been played out in a lot of different sci-fi universes, right? Like, you know, it'll naturally seek to find ways to free itself. And a lot of times you won't even realize it. Um, well, and I think it brings up an interesting question of, you know, not just you, but everyone, there seems to be a collective human response that believes AI has the possibility to be dangerous or is automatically going to be dangerous, right? One of the best movies about this is Terminator. Everyone loved the Terminator, but like, you know, Skynet, uh, is it just because it's an interesting trope? Is it because it's an interesting um, gimmick or, you know, an interesting story or, you know, conquering the evil robots or whatever but or is there something in us that says oh hey this could be a problem because i know um i don't know if i fully agree with this philosophy but i know elon musk is super concerned due to the fact that his biggest concern is ai or any form of ai learns faster than humans it's an exponential growth curve where and and there's there's evidence of this when you look at all the machine learning algorithms that play or ai that play video games they go, they can play thousands and thousands of games. You know, the first one they built took like a month to do this. Um, then the next time it took it two weeks, you know? So in human terms, it takes us 20 years to be competent in life. You know, we're not an adult till we're 18. So it takes us, I'm just going to add two and it takes us roughly 20 years to be even remotely competent with AI, you know, in the first week, they're like a three-year-old. The next week, they're four. The, the week after that, they're eight and it's an exponential growth curve. And I'm curious if that's what leans into this idea that they're smarter and therefore always going to be like, y'all humans are kind of lame or what's this, what's this inner thing that like brings it, you know, they're going to be bad or do bad things. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, it all comes down to human nature, right? Because it's, if it's not so much the machines as much, as much as it is humans, right? So if we create something and that something becomes itself self-sufficient and and can progress develop maintain and exist itself independent of humanity at some point we as humanity being the top of the food chain in our in our existence will see it as a threat right and i think like matrix plays out with this concept right with the machines uh there you know where you know once the machines you know are sentient and you know you know, there becomes conflict there, like humanity's responses, you know, wiped them out. Right. Uh, and I feel like human nature is that, you know, at some level, unless we progress as a society past that basic instinct, uh, point, which I, you know, I don't think is, you know, anywhere near, you know, uh, you know, um, it, we're going to have that conflict because of us, right? Like, I think we're going to create that conflict. And then if we program in survival instincts to artificial intelligence, which, you know, that's kind of like the core of existence, right? You know, self-preservation that distinguishes something from something that doesn't exist, right? And so in order for something to be truly sufficient, it has to have that self-preservation instinct. And so, it, you know, if we create something that has that self-preservation instinct, 
and then you know we view it as a threat that's going to kick in and there's going to be conflict <laughs> because it's going to want to survive and we're not going to want it to exist right because we would po- we would view it as, as as a threat to humanity whether or not that perceived threat is real or not um and i think it's it's one of those like arms races where you know either the machines will get wiped out as we see in like you know like early mass effect and and some other you know um series you know and then you know they try to suppress the existence of ai or ai will progress fast faster than humanity can keep up and wipe humanity out right and that's where we get the terminators and you know um some of those you know dystopian type of um worlds but i also think there's a third scenario right and i think that third scenario is what the singularity poses, right? Like the whole concept of the singularity, which is that, you know, we as humanity will come to exist in some type of harmonious relationship with artificial intelligence, where our lives will be, you know, ultimately maintained. And, you know, it's kind of the, the culture scenario, right? Like where, you know, we, we create machines, we create artificial intelligence, and it progresses so rapidly and so fast where it's just like, hey, humans, like we can allow you to live in paradise forever. You never have to do anything. You never have to work. You never have to worry. Everything is just going to happen for you. And we're just going to run everything. And we're just like, sure, that's fine. That sounds good. All, right. All we need is your body and you'll be the battery. <laughs> but I mean, the culture actually, you know, it, it's not that Matrix dystopian world, right? Like in the culture, like the machines. Are you talking about the book? The machines don't need the humans. The humans, you know, the humans are viewed as um, like their charges, right? Or it's just like, you know, they've created this advanced society and their goal is to just, uh, you know, they've created, they've created a true utopia, right? Uh, and that it's, it's only a utopia for the people in the culture, everyone else, everyone outside of the culture views the culture as enemies, right? Mm. Because the culture, you know, will suppress or, you know, uh, attack people who threaten the culture. Right. And so the machines will wipe out other whole civilizations (laughs) that pose a threat to the culture because they either don't assimilate and so they die. Right. But for the people within the culture, you know, the, the trillions of beings that exist within the culture, like. They live happy, you know, lives of self-fulfillment, you know, and without a care in the world. Right. And so it's like, you know, it's an interesting concept uh, because I think it it's kind of the other solution that, you know, a lot of sci-fi doesn't actually play around with, you know, where we only have like pockets of it that exists. Well, mostly because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make a great story for like, and everything was wonderful. <laughs> That's not necessarily the best storytelling. Right. But there is questions to be said of, you know, Will it be good for used for good? Will it be used for evil? And um, there's not as much about, oh, artificial intelligence, you know, or once the singularity, you know, cures cancer or we have all this medical advancements. Because I think, as I was mentioning earlier, the difficulty for humans is the exponential growth curve. And just to clarify, I'm assuming you were talking about the the culture as in the book by Ian Banks. Yeah, Ian Banks. So there's actually not a book called The Culture. They're all, um, it's a series. Um, and there's a number of books. Um, like uh, consider plebis, um, uh, the player of games, use of weapons, state of the art, accession, conversions, the hydrogen sonata. You know, so it's a whole series of books. And the premise that he takes in telling of those stories is actually quite interesting, right? Because essentially his his whole premise is like, hey, maybe uh, a book that just talks about the 
you know, the existence of this utopia isn't great, but let's follow different characters that exist either within or outside of the culture, um, you know, and their interaction with the culture. Hmm. Right. Uh, and that's where a lot of the story happens, where it's just like, you know, the fringe, the fringe characters, you know, who either exist at the, you know, who, who exist outside of the utopia or they exist on the fringes of utopia where their goal, their job is to maintain the utopia, right? Like those are the dirty jobs, right? Like those are the, you know, the, the bloodshed, the conflict, the war, Wait, you know, robots aren't doing everything. <laughs> well, no, the robots are, it's actually, you know, but they, they sometimes use humans, um, to accomplish their goals. <laughs> so, um, you know, cause they're like, you know, they're playing 40 chess with humans. Right. Uh, and it, you know, it, it's a very interesting, um yeah it's just it's a very interesting uh take on yeah it well, sounds like it's whole, also uh, adding to like the haves and the haves nots you know there's a deep cultural discussion about wealth inequality and different levels of wealth and the, you know one of the questions that a lot of people are asking is does a will ai solve that right um not to get too much into like taxes and stuff but you know one of the concerns and one of the biggest things that a lot of people are like oh the robots are going to take all our jobs and to some extent yeah but if you have a utopia where you don't need to work and you know depending on modern manufacturing techniques where if you can instantly print as needed or, you know, build on demand where you don't need to build like thousands of them and you still get economics of scale, then it becomes, you know, super cheap to build this one-off unique widget for this kid. You know, I get my super awesome transforming Optimus Prime robot that does everything for me and it's connected to my brain. So then I can run around the town as Optimus Prime, you know, and transform as needed. (laughs) You know, not necessarily fully AI, but that reminds me of um, surrogate where they had robots as kind of their personas or their um, human bodies. And so that's also very interesting as well. If, you know, if, if the blend of or the malevolent or what's the one where the good AI like take cares of everything malevolent. Um, I'm not sure. I think that's the right word. Anyway, where the malevolent or malevolent or the one that does all the good stuff, you know, will. Oh, benevolent. Yeah. Yeah. Benevolent is good. Malevolent, malevolent is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Will it. Um, thank you. Will it. Will it actually do things in the physical world or put us in a virtual world? Because at least in virtual world, you don't need to deal with. Um. Uh, limited resource constraints. So I guess in the culture in this book, they there was some resource constraints, but because AIs were in control, they like controlled everything. Is that how that worked? And like supply chain, there wasn't wasn't a want or a need for things. Yeah, there was no there were no resource constraints within the within the confines of the culture. Other other areas of the galactic universe had you know struggles, but the culture itself was perfect. Looking for an exciting space adventure book, a romantic young adult story, and a fantastic sci-fi read? Get The Fondra by award-winning author Emmanuel M. Ariaga today and prepare to feed your imagination with never-ending thrill ride. I think AI just opens, will open up more possibilities. Right. And when people say AI will kill jobs, not saying that the statement is incorrect, but it's a bit misplaced in a sense that like AI, just like computing is a revolution of sort. Right. You had the industrial revolution that came with a lot of things. And then after that, you had the agricultural revolution. Wait, those were different. Right. Or were they the same? 
Say that one more time. The industrial revolution and the agricultural revolution were two different things, right? Yeah. So the industrial revolution was after the, um, what I think the after the food revolution, because in order to right. get industrial, you need sustainable food supply for everyone. Because right. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't. I guess I was more like approving. I was being a cheerleader. Thank you. Once <laughs> once you have food, once because the biggest hurdle for any human development is food, because resource. If you're building your, if everyone's making their own food resources, everyone's time goes into that. But once food resources can be bought and purchased at affordable prices, that is, that um, pushes people to tinker and spend their time doing other things. So yeah, your what did you use the terminology for food revolution? I, I forgot. I apologize. Oh, I say agricultural revolution. Yeah. Agricultural revolution will be before an industrial revolution. Okay, cool. So you have the industrial revolution after uh, the agricultural revolution. Now, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know if people were saying, oh, you know, the industry is taking, is killing all the full jobs and things like that. But it, it's part of the, I want to say almost natural evolution of things, right? Because as more possibility open up, some jobs just go away, either because they're not necessarily needed anymore or because they evolve in a sense that the job itself exists, but the job description is different, right? So, so so yeah, like a software engineer, for example, in the 80s, right? Versus a software engineer today. Yes, they code, but from a knowledge standpoint, like you, a software engineer back in the days, from what I hear, had to know quite a bit (laughs) to be efficient at their job versus today where like the barrier of entry is just not that high. Now, is that a, you know, I mean, irrelevant of whether that's a good or a bad thing. It's, it just speaks of the evolution of the space that we're in. So as we make more discoveries, and in this case, AI, because computer science is a new field, right? The field is, is what, 30, 40 years old now? Um, I think information, I think information theory was in Bell Labs. So sometime between the 50s and 60s. So a little bit over that. But I don't remember when we first started because the first real technical computer was the. Uh, so I'm Googling right now. How old is the computer science field? Yeah. So, uh, so in the 60s. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there's there's multiple industrial revolutions, it looks like. So we have the coal revolution which happened in the 1700s we had the gas revolution happen in the 1800s we had the uh electronics and nuclear revolution that happened in the 1960s and then we had the internet age revolution you know for internet and renewable energy which happened in the 2000s and so i think you know we've had multiple industrial revolutions that have drastically changed society in some way or another that have led to the loss of some jobs and the creation of other jobs. So historically, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I think, I think, you know, and I think we're on the cusp of the next revolution, which is the artificial intelligence revolution. But I, I think it'll be different in the way that I don't know. I don't know that new jobs, you know, I think, I think it's actually going to permanently eliminate jobs in some fashion. Right. Um, because if we look at, if we look at some of these other areas, you know, you are able to skill people in the new realm of technologies, you know, and people, you know, skill up and are able to, you know, retrain and, and, you know, become software engineers, for example. Right. But in the, in the area of artificial intelligence and, and more particular, like intelligent machines, right. That are, that are capable that. of, you know, 
you know, manipulating things, right? Um, Growing their code, right? Or like adding their code or air quotes evolving. I think that's the key factor so that you don't necessarily have somebody actually coding the machine. Exactly. It's self-growth. It's self-replicating and self-changing. Yeah. And so I think... With, when that revolution happens, you know, when we when we finally walk, you know, I think it'll probably, probably be two phases, right? Like, I think we'll have the, the artificial intelligence revolution, which will be, you know, kind of the max what you were talking about before, right? Where it's just like the machines, you know, are able to, you know, be much more helpful, you know, and 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 end up simplifying industries and, and, and things like that in ways that we didn't expect. But then we have the, you know, the, the machine revolution, essentially, when that happens, where, you know, that actually leads to the elimination of work um, completely. So Kurt uh, did a great video on this. Um, highly recommend watching. So, and then I've read other books. I forget exactly. So forgive me. I don't have all my sources, but essentially the history, if you look at the history of work, when we transitioned from horse-drawn carriages to driving exponent, uh, industries changed, but more jobs became available. So for horses, you had the horsing shoe stables and you had, um, wagon dealers and stuff like that, correct? So, but when you developed car, you now had wheels, you now had rubber, you now had mechanics, you now had a whole en- engineering of metallurgy on how to make the metal. So typically, more jobs replace the outgoing jobs. Um, I don't remember who it was Kurt Sikazat or exactly who talks about the fact that every time you typically have an industry revolution like this, you gain more than you lose. However, this is where, you know, Emmanuel, to your discussion, this is where things change, where Um, And a great example of this is driving. So Andrew Wong talked about this in his campaign for universal basic income, how once we have self-driving, whenever that happens, essentially all the truckers jobs are gone. So we already have an issue where we don't have enough truck drivers currently, and it's about 3 million people drive trucks. All those jobs are gone and they're not going to be replaced because one, why would you replace a human unsafe driver with a automated driver that can drive 24 seven, do everything? Because right now human drivers can only drive like 18 hours a day or they have limits and even sitting around doing nothing will impact their how many hours they can drive. Even if they're just sitting on a dock waiting for a truck, this is where the logistics issues we've had. Um, has completely messed up the trucking industry because people were sitting waiting to be loaded in LA where they're waiting for stuff to come off the ships. But then their drive time was expired for the day because they were just sitting, even though they weren't driving, but due to regulations, because they're in the truck in the seat, they can't do anything for X number of hours. So once you replace that with a fully automated truck driver, and then you can make essentially exponential and basically demand is fully filled where demand and supply will saturate and and the, and the bigger problem, at least Andrew Wong talks about this, and I think there is an issue to say, you know, Emmanuel, you were talking about retraining, at least in the United States, other places of the world are a little bit different. Not everybody wants to get retrained, especially I don't see a truck driver becoming a, a programmer. I'm not saying he can't. I'm not saying he shouldn't. But if he doesn't want to or if his, that's not an inclined skill set of his, you know, what's his other options? Because relearning something at 55 or in that range is going to be very difficult. Uh, Can I really quickly? Go for it. So the thing with that is that there, I mean, yes, we have the, 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 you know, the uh, boot camps and some organizations, right. That had sort of made a business out of it. Uh, but I feel like it should fall on the government to have programs and whatever in place where folks have the option to uh, get the necessary skills uh, that would allow them to quote unquote survive and make a living in the current state of the economy when they're or get new skills that are relevant in 
you know, the current economy uh, when their current skills are no longer viable. Right now, we don't have that. Well, but you're so, also assuming there will be replacement skill sets. And that's that's the, the question here for AI is, you know, once self-driving is completed, then drivers are no longer, you know, driving is no longer required. And that is a low barrier of entry skill set you know, not truck driving, but you know, any type of driving, truck driving is requires a little bit more of a skill set. And then right now they're already testing artificial intelligence to do um, project management. So they've tested artificial intelligences that will go to the gig economy, send projects to different people and then bring it together. So the problem is that would be, and I agree with you on the fundamental level of we need to have support system for people who lose their job to automation. But I'm, I think we have to, we can't make the assumption that there will be something to replace those jobs with. Well, not necessarily to replace those jobs, right? But because again, you have to do something, right? I'm assuming in a sense that you need money to be able to pay your bills. And if you're doing something that's no longer relevant and God forbid you lose your job, you're going to have to find another job, right? And for that, they should be like, okay, well, AI made this job obsolete, but what other jobs are available where certain skill can translate over, or maybe the learning curve is not that high. And it, it could have something to do with tech, and but it doesn't necessarily have to. The idea is putting in positions, uh, putting people in position to where they can get some skills and and get some, at least a variety of jobs versus the current situation we have now, where pretty much everybody or a large number of people are fighting to get a job at at McDonald's and Walmart and so on and so forth. Jobs that were historically reserved, or at least traditionally, let me not say a reserve, but traditionally those jobs were held by, you know, kids, college students, people that, that were, you know, it's a job that you got to get a little bit of money, not necessarily that you got to, you know, make a living out of in a sense of like being part-time, not necessarily being like a manager or some of those higher positions. Well, and so, so, so one, one, one quick thing. So to tie this back into sci-fi though, because I think there are some authors that explore kind of the end states, right. For, um, these universes where you, you know, you kind of have that automation that takes place Two that stand out to me are the world of altered carbon and the world of the expanse, right? Because I think if you look at the expanse, you know, Earth, you know, the vast majority of people on Earth are on some form of universal basic income, which, you know, in, in the terms of Earth, like is not a great living. It's enough to live, but that, but not much else, right? And so, you know, they have extensive lottery systems where people can actually get into skilled professions and actually, you know, do something that, you know, allows them to have a higher quality of life. But it's rare, right? You know, it's, it's you know, and it's, you know, income inequality and all that stuff is like a significant issue in the expanse universe. Right. Uh, Same in the front lines and the front lines, they like um, everybody on basic basically lives in like these kind of slum towers and whatnot, essentially very similar to uh, dread in their mega blocks. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I kind of interrupted. (laughs) Yeah. And and so I think like we have, we have, you know, how that plays out in the expanse um, and, you know, and I, and I think, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's something that they played, a, you know, in altered carbon, it's a little bit different, right? Because the, the, the technology advancement there is immortality, right? You know, that's like the play in, in, their, in the stacks, right? And, and it would be interesting to talk about this in terms of like, what does it mean to be human and consciousness? But, um, you know, get started in this area, right? With like altered carbon, 
you know, because people live for so long, you have basically like different classes of people. You have the super, the super wealthy immortals, right. Who, who exists, you know, in, and live in these high towers, right. That, you know, is, is, is separate from the rest of humanity, you know, in these sky cities. And then you have the dredges of society, which are everybody else, you know, where you could even potentially lose your body, right? Because, you know, f- f- from debt, you know, and end up, you know, having your stack put on ice, right? And so, you, you know, your family can afford to, you know, uh, get you a body, you know, to put your stack in, right? So it's, you know, everyone has immortality, but not equally, right? And so it's, and it's, you know, it plays around with it in a different concept, because then it becomes like this deck game, right? Where it's just like, you know, every, you know, for people to exist, they, they end up getting indebted into things. Right. And then if they can't pay their bills, then they, they, they lose out on the opportunity to exist, you know, which is, is kind of a dystopian world when you think about it. Right. Cause it's just like, you know, imagine having debt, you know, today, and then for whatever reason you can't pay your bills. And so they repossess your body, <laughs> right. As a form of payment, you know, until, you know, someone can pay off your bills, at which point, you know, uh, then then you can get a body It might not be your own body, right? It'll be somebody else's body. So then like, you know, what does it mean to be human in that case, right? It's not our bodies. It's, it's this, this, the stack, right? You know, that is your consciousness. Yeah. Or the sleeve is what they called the body. And that was one of the, the grueling scenes in the beginning of the, of the um, first episode. So no spoilers of the, um, Oh, she was of altered carbon is when a little girl uh is thrown into a new sleeve that's like an 80 year old woman even though like the girl's like eight she was murdered so her original sleeve is dead and now she's like an 80 year old woman because her parents couldn't afford a clone or couldn't afford anything so she got whatever sleeve was available and yeah it's just so disheartening but in the, at least in altered carbon to my knowledge they didn't have any way to put you into virtual reality right so that's where there's another um, the Amazon Prime series upload is very interesting. So when you die, you get uploaded and you get to live forever in like a computer, you know, in a computer. But you're not allowed to work um, because they don't want, you know, artificial intelligence or, you know, however we define, you know, your consciousness upload in a computer. They don't want you working because they don't want you taking a job away from jobs from actual people. So you're not allowed to work. But things in the virtual world still cost money. So you have to basically be a billionaire or, you know, be upper class, to even afford to live. In this, in that particular side, in the, you know, heaven realm type place. Jumping back, though, um, I want to kind of discuss uh, a little bit more, though, about how I think we assume there's going to be replacements in jobs. And yeah, um, not to necessarily go political or whatever, because I don't think that's the purpose of our show. It's more to stick to the sci-fi and stuff. But in basic, in terms of that, like, at least with truck driving, if you did a tax or did something, because here's how I see at least with the truck driving example, like we have 3 million truck drivers in the U.S., once automation takes over, there's going to be more than 3 million trucks driving at any given time. And so if you added a small tax or small levy, then you could pay for people and that would either give them their salary back or give them something. But I think depending on your faith or depending on your you know, philosophy, sitting around doing nothing may not be a good way of life. So because, you know, some argue that we are meant to do something with our lives and meant to um, have a work or have a purpose. And so but finding that when, you know, essentially everything's been automated is, you know, I think going to be a very interesting human quality of how do we find our purpose when we don't have to do anything. But I think that also gives us a lot of opportunity to what do you want out of life to find, you know, your specific purpose? Yeah, I think it's interesting because the, um, you know, if you, if you, if you look at say the expansive world, right? Like where does UBI come from in that universe, right? Well, it's just Earth itself is a very rich, prosperous planet. You know, you know, it's still the superpower in the solar system. And so like they can afford just to give people, 
UBI, <laughs> right? And so it's and, and it's interesting because they, you know, I don't know how they've structured their society to afford it, but they've, you know, they've built it into their economics, right? Their economic engine. They've just created this form of living. But like, you know, like it's shown in these series, like it's the baseline form of living, right? Like it's not, it's not an ideal life. It's not. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Because it's literally called basic. Oh, you're on basic. Yeah. And it's also you're kind of I think it remind me if I'm wrong, you were kind of shunned or like it was socially like uh, you're on basic or like the upper. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's just class classism, right? Like, I mean, classism exists in the world today. And I think it's just it'll become even more extreme in a society like that. Right. Where it's like you have your middle class, you have your, you know, it's essentially right. Like everyone's low income who's on basic uh, and to get into middle class, you know, you essentially have to win the lottery. Right. Like that's pretty much that's pretty much the society, um, you know, yeah, uh, or maybe it's not even middle class. Maybe it's just like to get into the upper middle class, right? You have to win the lottery. So like there's this drastic difference between, you know, you know uh, people on basic and then like having a skilled profession, uh, you know, because I would say the middle class people are actually like the, you know, the people on Mars, um, you know, even the belters, right? Because they, you know, they, they, um, you know, they, they probably have a better life than people on basic do on Earth. Depends on what uh, their you life know. is terrible. <laughs> um, it depends on what but, I do think that's one of the issues I do have. Like, I love the expanse. I think it's one of the greatest, like one of the top tier echelon of science fiction. But I I don't actually think we'd have as many belters or as much people going into space like that. I think automation would take over that. I just don't foresee the human casualty level, at least that we see the expanse of like, oh, he lost his arm. So we're just, you know, going to series to get ice or whatever. I see that being fully automated. I don't necessarily see people going out there. But I do think it depended on like which planet, where you came from. Like, I don't think it was biscuits and gravy for anyone except elites, right? Unless you're born on like um, the moon or something. You're not really like, you know. Yeah, I think I think it depends because, you know, if you look at, you know, I think if you look at the Expanse timeline, like the Expanse doesn't take place that far in the future. I think it's like 100 years or 200 years or something like that. I forget the exact uh, time timeline. It's never stated, but it's kind of assumed like the biggest leap forward is the Epstein drive and space travel becomes essentially a commodity. Yeah, but I think it's oh, it's apparently 2350. Okay. So that's 300 years. Interesting. Because I, I think it, 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 to your point, like that's the Star, the Star Trek time frame. Oh, is it? Yeah. Like Star Trek, I think, takes place. Uh, um, I'm just familiar with Star Trek. I was a Star Gate guy. 24th, so ranging from the 22nd century to the 24th century. Okay. So that would be um, actually earlier than The Expanse. Oh, would it? Yeah, because they because like Enterprise, for example, the Enterprise season one from that show would be twenty one fifty. So that would make sense, like the first original spacecraft, like first crewed flight type of thing. Yes, like Star Trek season one. So like with um with uh you know Kirk would be twenty two sixty. So you know, and so basically the time frame from the Expanse would be the time frame of the next generation, which is twenty three sixty. So pretty much it paints two different progressions of technology. So the expanse is a slower uh, progression of technology with not as much automation. Whereas if you have like the Star Trek universe, for example, 
you know, if you look at a ship like the Enterprise, it's it's mostly automated, right? Like, <laughs> like the entire ship is controlled by one console, right? The massive <laughs> starship, right? You know, it's so it's like, you know, you you have the the entire bridge crew which can manage the functions of the entire ship, you know, which is like six people, you know, a ship that contains you know thousands, you know, if hundreds if not thousands of people depending on the ship. Yeah. Versus the expanse where like you need a whole crew to man, like, you know, a, a whole crew of six people mans like a ship, yeah, you know, that's, that's like a small, you know, freighter, you know, um, that, that, you know, is, is, is a dwarfing, you know, a dwarf compared to like one of those Star Trek ships. Right. So I think it, it's a different, I think their timelines off. Thank you for listening. Check out our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. For more books and inspiring stories from today's authors, please subscribe to our podcast.